to lead the way up to the kids center. Another large group of kids this morning, and so so glad to see a, a church full of all the energy of these children. And I'm so glad that they're in here with you during worship. Now they'll receive a message uh, right on their level. Uh, in fact, I probably will try to preach on their level as much as I can in here this morning as well so that we all get it, right? But at the same time, um, I'm so glad that they're with their parents during this time of worship. You teach them during these times. I, I'm talking about the home today. I'm talking about parenting. But you seize this time in here to teach them how to worship, how to be sensitive to the Spirit. That's one of the things that I can tell you, and, and I'm so grateful for the fact that uh, Wednesday night, right in the upper room up here, that our students are encountering the presence of a living God. Uh, but there's one thing that they will tell you that they have to kind of work at sometimes on Wednesday nights is teaching them how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, teaching them how to worship. Well, Mom, Dad, you start when they're young, teaching them how to worship, how to be aware of God's presence and sensitive to His leadership in their life. And uh, it'll go a long long ways. We're going to see some of that this morning in God's Word of how God has called us uh, to touch our children with the gospel of Christ, laying a solid foundation and impacting generations to come because we impact kids in our own home to start with. So if you've got your Bibles, I know you just took a seat. We're going to stand right back up. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, if you want to also find uh, 2 Timothy, chapters 1 and 3, we're going to look at those as well this morning. Uh, but the passage that you're all familiar with, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, as we talk about writing home this morning and the, the bringing of uh, a missional feel to our homes. And so it starts by saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may have long life in the land. I know sometimes people see this promise and they say, well, I know people who honored their parents who died young and I know people who didn't honor their parents so well and lived a long time. Well, let's go back to the context. As Israel would go into the promised land, they were told with the commandments that Moses would give them, is that your people group would dwell in the land for a long time. You would have influence and impact on generations to come uh, when you prioritize the home, and we'll see that this morning. And so he says that it may go well with you in the land, that you might have long life in the land. And then he says, and fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction. Some translations read, nurture and admonition of the Lord. Father, I pray that you, by your spirit and your truth, would help us to do just that today. Not only enlighten us, but empower us to do what you've called us to do, Lord. There might be someone here this morning that would say that they're struggling, Lord, to influence, to impact their own children. Uh, maybe they're going through a rough patch in life right now. Lord, maybe they're not getting the help that they would desire from family and friends, maybe even a spouse. But Lord, I pray that you would show yourself faithful as we learn the principles and precepts of Scripture and how to live them out in our homes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated this morning. Talking about parenting with mission. 
bringing a, a, a purpose and seeing our homes as a, a primary missional context. Do you ever feel like you have a hard time communicating with family or uh, you might would even say, listen, being that witness to my family, that, that's the most difficult area for me to be a witness of, of all the places God's called me to be a witness. And, and trying to get through to my kids sometimes can be tough. I, I read about a dad who was trying to influence his son concerning the dangers of alcohol. And so he took a glass of water and a glass of whiskey, and he set them side by side, and he dropped a, a, an earthworm into each one. And in the glass of water, the earthworm did fine, but in the glass of whiskey, the, the worm just shriveled up and died and became pickled pretty quickly. And he was hoping that his son would see that's what alcohol will do to your body. And so he said, son, do you, do you get the illustration? Do you get what I'm trying to communicate? And the son said, yes. If I'll drink enough whiskey, I won't get worms. <laughs> Sometimes we have a failure to communicate, right? We're trying to illustrate, trying to demonstrate some things. Uh, somebody once said, if you really want to get through to your kids when they misbehave, treat your children just like you would treat your boss at work. You're like, treat my boss. Well, praise their achievements, ignore their tantrums, and resist the urge to sit them down and explain to them that their brain has not fully developed to this point. Well, don't do that with your boss this week. Say, my pastor told me to. Well, sometimes we want to do that. We're urged to do that with our children. When we come to these letters that we've been looking at, and I know we're pulling select passages from these letters, hopefully within the context, right, of these letters being written to New Testament church, to New Testament leaders, for the most part, teaching them how to live the Christian life in a world that was completely contrary. I know, we discussed it even in our life group this morning, I know that sometimes we find ourselves saying, who would want to bring children into this world? I mean, this world is so messed up. But listen, there's nothing new under the sun. We've been in a sin-fallen world since uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. We, we've had to bring up a generation every time in a world that is contrary to the things of God. And the Roman Empire into which Paul was writing was no different than what we see today. And so the things that were influencing a generation, the things that were being tolerated by the general culture made the church look peculiar and stand out as a different group. And so we see him writing a letter, and if we'll flip over to 2 Timothy, Paul writing to his protege in the faith, saying, Timothy, as you're pastoring this church, some things I want to remind you of. Here's Timothy, a, a leader with great impact. And one of the things he's going to remind Timothy of is his Christian home, his Christian upbringing, some things that he had learned along the way. And so I want to begin this morning by kind of looking into two key provisions that children need from their parents. And, and we'll see that this really overlaps in the life of Timothy big time. But two key provisions that children need from their parents. Number one is the provision of biblical foundations. Our kids, your children, your grandchildren, the children that God has given you the opportunity to influence and impact for his glory, need the provision of a biblical foundation. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, as Paul's writing this second letter to Timothy, 
equipping him to be all that he can be as a pastor. He says, I'm clearly recalling as I write your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice that I am convinced is also in you. Timothy, who had a Jewish mother, a Greek father, Jewish grandmother, had certainly been influenced by his mom and his grandmother big time. How many of you this morning, I know it's not Mother's Day, we need to talk about this more than just at Mother's Day. How many of you would say, I I thank God for the prayers of a godly mother or grandmother or both? Raise your hand this morning. Don't you thank God for that? I can remember hearing my grandmother pray for me as a child, and, and I thank God for answered prayers in my own life because she was praying for me from the day I was born, probably praying with fear and trembling for me from the day that I was born. Paul was a spiritual father, however, in Timothy's life, but he's saying there's a foundation. He's saying, I've got something to work with here because of the work of your mother and your grandmother. The hand that rocks the cradle truly is ruling the world and an impact in influencing this world. And so, with Bible in hand, they were instructing Timothy to have biblical foundation in his own life. So if you flip over to chapter 3, as Paul begins to talk about the importance of the Bible itself to Timothy and how that needs to be the, the instrument that he's using to disciple and influence the church, he goes back to Timothy's childhood again, reminding him that Paul did not just kind of speak into a void in Timothy's life, but that he had something to work with from the beginning. And so in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look down at verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing those from whom you learned. And that from when? Childhood. Don't just say, well, hey, listen, I'm not going to talk about religion in the home. I'm not going to talk about the faith in the home. When my kids get old enough, then they can decide for themselves what they want to believe. Listen, if they, don't, if they aren't establishing the faith at a young age, you are crippling them spiritually for making those kind of decisions when they get older. And he says, you have known the sacred scriptures from childhood. Where did he learn them? A mother and a grandmother who had the fear of God in their hearts and in their home, which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable there's something that we want the next generation to understand and to believe is that Jesus loves you and his word is true. And it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, you, Timothy, can be complete, you can be mature, you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, what would a devout Jewish mother and grandmother have used? Think about this. The New Testament was still being transmitted, uh, inspired of the Holy Spirit at this time. Scrolls were being written at this time. It had not been compiled and and pulled together. So when Paul was telling Timothy, you've been established in the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures from of old, he was talking about the Old Testament. And any Jewish mother, grandmother, a Jewish father, a Jewish home would have understood that one of the most important passages for their society would have been what is referred to as the Shema, the Hebrew Shema found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so let's flip over 
to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and see what it was that had served as a guide in Timothy's home to say these are priorities. This is the passage of Scripture that we use to support the first of the seven summits here at Trinity, the provision summit, saying that we desire, we're committed here to equip the home to be a place where the love of Jesus and the Word of God is made manifest. And so it says, listen, Israel. That's where the word shema is, the Hebrew word for listen or hear. Hear this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus would later say this is the greatest commandment that was ever given. Now, if Jesus himself said this is the greatest commandment, guess what? It's the greatest commandment. The, the best thing you can teach in your home by the way that you live and the way you communicate with your family and what you instruct your children to do is to love God passionately. With everything that you have, you're going to love and serve the Lord. That loving relationship becomes a foundation then for the values of the Word of God to be transmitted because he says the words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. That means again and again and again. I was talking to someone this week about worship. Sometimes people are critical about how in worship, we were doing this this morning, we repeat the same thing again and again and again. Why does the Bible say we need to repeat stuff like this? Why, why are the Psalms so full of repetition in the same line again and again and again? Because we need repetition to get it, for, the, for it to be driven home to where, okay, if I repeat the Scriptures, if I memorize the Scriptures, if I sing the principle again and again and again, then it's going to be ingrained in my heart and in my life. And so he says, I want you to repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, or we might say in the 21st century, when you drive down the highway. Have everybody take the earbuds out of their ears and have some conversation. Put on some kind of uh, a spiritual program. Uh, my wife mentioned this morning Adventures in Odyssey, right? To listen to something that will generate spiritual and biblical conversation as you drive along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, when you're praying together at these moments, talk about the things of God, right? Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house. You're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to write Scripture on the doorpost of my house, but you can take biblical principle, precept, commandments, encouragement from Scripture, and you can hang it on the walls of your house. You can put reminders on those places where you often frequent in the home, like refrigerators and mirrors, right? And so when you put the Word of God all over your home and in your hearts, and you talk about it when you lie down, and when you rise up, and when you walk along the road, it becomes very organic for you. Listen, sometimes I know it's difficult to say, okay, we're going to have family devotions at this time. Doggone it, everybody's going to sit down and be quiet and be still, and we get all frustrated when it doesn't happen just right. But you want it to be such a part of your life that it's just natural, that it's just organic to talk about how the things of God impact every area of life. And so when the kids are frustrated about the bully at school or, or the teacher that they had, you're talking about how the Word of God addresses that situation. Uh, when your kids talk about the temptations that they're facing and you need to ask them about the temptations that you're facing, you say, well, let me see what the Bible says about that. So it just becomes natural that, hey, you know, in my house, 
the children will be thinking to themselves or maybe in conversation with their friends. In my house, every time these subjects come up, my parents go straight to talking about what the Bible says about those things. And then when they ask, well, why do you believe the Bible is true? You've done your homework because Peter said that we should be able to give an answer, an apologia, that's where we get our word apologetics, a, a defense of the faith. This is why we believe the Bible is true. And, and so parents, it's not enough just to be able to say, well, I don't know, but you're just not supposed to question the Bible. Dig a little bit deeper than that. Understand why you believe the Bible is a reliable source of truth and God's standard for our lives. And so here is this provision of biblical foundations. Here's Timothy impacting his world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, being entrusted by the Apostle Paul to say, hey, man, take this church, you pastor it, you run with it, you live it out by example, but man, you preach it, Timothy, I trust you because Paul had something to work with in Timothy. How many of you teachers here this morning, I know we've got some teachers, how many of you teachers or coaches would say it's unfair sometimes for us to be evaluated on how well our students or athletes do because some people aren't aware of what we got to work with? You're like, I don't want to insult anybody. <laughs> some, right, some of you know what I'm talking about. End of year testing because if we could do a demographic study, maybe in some areas the kids are getting a lot of help from mom and dad. And when mom and dad are providing a lot of help with the homework and saying you're going to get that up and you're going to respect your teacher and you're going to say yes ma'am and yes sir, you're going to do what's asked of you and I'm going to watch a YouTube video to figure out how to help you with your algebra homework tonight. Right? When parents are engaged and involved, boy, they can make teachers look great. But when parents aren't helping... It may be a little bit unfair to be critical of that teacher, right? And in the same way, a lot of parents think, well, I bring my kid to Sunday school. I bring them to small group. I bring them to Wednesday night, drop them off and take off. But I bring my kids. And so I want to minister to families to get them straightened out and help them to live their life in a way that won't embarrass me. That's not being a missional parent. But when you say, listen, I believe that the church, and by the way, we can't do in two hours or three hours a week. They can't learn algebra in five hours a week. You think the church can ingrain spirituality in two or three hours a week? And so when we're coming along beside the home and we're saying, listen, our calling, and listen, my passion as a pastor is to equip the home to be that place 24-7 instilling the principles, precepts, and values of God prioritizing prayer and biblical priorities, having conversations about God, talking about our plans and, and, and our vision, our dream in light of our, God's call on our lives, teaching them that a relationship with God through Christ is more important than anything else. Because if you were to ask the kids, many of them, what do you think is most important? Your parents, they might say, well, making straight A's or at least passing this class or looking good on the ball field. By, by what I hear my parents talking about all the time, I would think those things are most important. But you need to make it clear to your children that, no, 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 your love for the Lord Jesus Christ and your dependence upon his word, that's my biggest priority, and that's going to bring the greatest rejoicing in my life, teaching them the reliability and the sufficiency of scriptures. 
Remember what James said, lay aside all wickedness, overflow of filthiness, receive with meekness the implanted words which is able to save your souls, but don't just be hearers of the word, be doers, do what it says. So teaching them to hear, understand, and to live out the word of God, whatever their other passions and gifts and callings are in life, that it's to live on mission for the glory of God. Now this means that they need access to the Word of God. It means we need to bring intentionality into home. We need to be students of the Word because as we study the Word, they'll want to know what it is that's making a difference in our lives. It means being involved in a Bible-believing church. It doesn't have to be a Baptist church, right? I tell people I'm Baptist with a small b, but I'm Bible with a capital B. But being in a Bible-believing church that believes the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word, and they're going to teach that Word and teach you to stand on that Word and trust that Word and and live out that Word. And and so I'm never one to encourage somebody, you need to leave that church, come to this church, anything. But if they neglect the Word of God as authoritative and sufficient, then I would say saturate that place with your absence. It's important that we are exposed to all of these things. Why? You know, (laughs) I I, I teach a a class or two every semester over at Emmanuel College. I know what students are always asking when it comes to other subjects that are being taught. They're, They're asking this. Number one, why do we need to know this stuff? I asked the same question when I took trig in high school. Why do I need to know this stuff? I'm not called to be an engineer. I'm not planning to build any bridges. Um, Why do I need to know this stuff? I can use a calculator for that, right? Or here's the second question. Will it be on the test? Right, that's when they start paying attention in class. By the way, this will be on the test. Ooh, better write that down. Those are the two big questions. Why do I need to know this and will it be on the test? We need to explain to our children, when it comes to the principles and precepts of Scripture, here's why you need to know it. Here's the test that is coming your way. And if you want to stand the test of times, you'll be a student of God's Word. You'll believe it. You'll stand on it. You'll have biblical foundations in your life. When it comes to one day you bringing up your own family, you having your own children, you having a successful marriage, as we've already seen in the first several weeks of this study, is that we need this because it's going to be on the test, the test of life. Why has God placed us here? Why is a relationship with God so important? Why is my choice of friends important, and how do I choose those friends? Is there a a real heaven? Is there a real hell? Is there a devil that's laying traps for me, and is there a God who will reward me for walking with him? The Bible answers all of those questions, and we need to explain, and they will be on the test the things that are going to come your way. That's the provision of biblical foundations. Timothy had it in his life. Timothy would then be handed the pulpit at Ephesus, right? He would become a pastor. I want you to turn over to Ephesians, as Paul would write, to the church at Ephesus. The passage that we read just a moment ago. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll move from the provision of biblical foundations to one that may be a little more challenging to us this morning, the the provision of balanced leadership. Balanced leadership. What do you mean, balanced leadership? Well, he tells the children they have some responsibility right here. 
Obey your parents in the Lord. And so as the pastor would express these words from this letter to the church, children, yeah, you need to be obeying your parents in the Lord because this is right. You need to be honoring your father and mother. Here's the commandment from of old that you've heard. Honor your father and mother. This is a commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may have long life in the land, that you may have continued influence for the glory of God in this world. And now after all of those words to the children, he comes back and he addresses the fathers here. And I believe that through the fathers, this would also be addressed to the parents, right? Mom and dad, don't stir up anger in your children. Maybe dads need to be reminded of that more than moms. Don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Keep in mind, these verses follow the passage we already looked at in Ephesians chapter 5 on what? Marriage. Marriage. So he's saying, listen, before you try to get this parenting thing down, before you try to get your kids in line, be sure that you work on your marriage first. The best thing, dads, you can do for your children is love their mama. And moms respect their dad. And when mom and dad are loving each other and loving the Lord Jesus Christ, you're giving them a more solid foundation to work from. So keep in mind that that established the context. Sometimes you would say, well, listen, there are some things that we've gone through in our life and we need some mentors to help out with this because mom and dad aren't together anymore. And that's where the church comes in to provide encouragement, to provide mentoring, to be a blessing to those who need a model of masculinity in a dad or a model of, of being a lady and a mom. And then he says there should be some discipline and instruction. Not stirring up anger, but bringing nurture and admonition. What does it mean to stir up anger? Now, here's the balance. The balance is, first of all, there's got to be loving encouragement in an environment of grace. And secondly, discipline and instruction with a passion for truth. That's what needs to be balanced in the home. Loving encouragement, not stirring up anger, loving encouragement in an environment of grace, but also discipline and instruction with a passion for truth. If you get that out of balance and you're stirring up anger with the truth or you're neglecting the truth to create a loving environment, then you're going to leave a generation that's confused. So there's got to be balance. Let's look at the first part of that. Not stirring up anger, the, the loving encouragement and environment of grace. He says not to provoke them to wrath. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul was writing a, a parallel passage to the church at Colossae, and he says not to embitter or exasperate them. He says don't embitter or, or don't exasperate your children. In other words, when love and grace are absent and you're trying to demand truth and discipline without love and grace, then the children feel so defeated and so browbeaten, and, and they get to the place where they're saying, I'll never get all this right. And the temptation for some parents is to do this in order to try to make themselves look good because they're worried more about how they look as a parent 
than they are about the spiritual well-being of their child. And so that loving environment of grace is not present. Only a list of rules which lead to problems. And so we've got to create that loving environment, that that encouraging environment. I'll come back to talk about some practical application to this, but I want to look at the other half of this balance. There's got to be discipline and instruction. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's got to be a passion for truth to say this is right and this is wrong. It's, It's that nurture and admonition. The New Living Translation and the ESV uses the word discipline here. It's the same word found in Hebrews chapter 12 when it talks about how God corrects us in ways that aren't fun, and God corrects us in ways that don't seem, that don't seem unpleasant at the time, right? God corrects us, and he says it doesn't seem fun at the time when God's correcting us, but he's a loving father. He's correcting us. He's disciplining us. He's chastening us to help us to not be involved in things that would bring heartache and heartbreak later down the road. He says it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. Listen, parents, sometimes if we're trying to be our kids' buddies, we're not helping them out. They need leaders in their lives. And so, yes, there's got to be loving encouragement, establishing a solid relationship in an environment of grace But once that relationship is established, now you can pass down values that they would be willing to embrace, training and instruction. Dealing with them as God dealt with Israel. What did God, when Israel was irresponsible, God removed privilege. And so when our children are irresponsible, we should remove privileges. But when they were rebellious, and defiant, there were severe consequences. It was a little bit more corporal with the punishment at those moments. When there was direct defiance, there were severe consequences. And so trying to discern sometimes can be difficult. Were they just simply being irresponsible? They left their ball glove out in the rain. They forgot about their homework again. There's loss of privilege. But then at other times, There's direct defiance, right? And so Proverbs says, spare the rod and spoil the child. As you work through those things, as they grow, your your discipline, your instruction changes as years. uh, But but you don't look at your child and you say, well, I just want to make them happy. I just want to please them. If they're whining in the grocery aisle, buy them whatever they're asking for. You ever see kids just whine until they get their way? And and so this balance is so important. Josh McDowell said that behaviors reflect values. Values, beliefs, and beliefs are established through relationships. So we need a relationship in place. Robert Lewis, when he talks about discipline and instruction, as well as a loving environment, says that both are important because if we have love and an environment of grace without Discipline and instruction, that leads to license to sin. But if we have discipline and instruction without a loving environment, that leads to rebellion. And so you need both and and a balance of both. Perhaps one one of my favorite illustrations is one that Richard Ross used, who says a loving relationship becomes a pipeline. 
Now, my son's not here this morning. I picked on him last time I illustrated this, so I'm going to ask. I didn't warn them. Can I get uh, my brother Toby and Cooper to come up here just for a second? You're like, you didn't, you didn't warn us, but I want them to illustrate this. But I know that there are some values that my brother has been passing on to my nephew. And uh, I love these men and, and know that they want to do all that they can to please God. And so I want to let this pipe represent a relationship, Toby, between your heart and Cooper's heart. So if you would just take that and stand right here. I want people to just get a visual. But both of you hold that to your chest there for a moment. So many times people will have this relationship, this loving relationship in place. And they won't take advantage of it and send values down the pipe, so to speak. At other times, they get the relationship, there's no love, there's no grace, and they're trying to force values and they're just getting lost out here somewhere. The loving relationship in an environment of grace establishes a pipeline from a parent's heart to a child's heart so that you can pass values down that pipeline. And so both are important. Thank you. Y'all give them a hand. Both of those are important. The relationship has to be in place, but I know so many parents, you've got the loving relationship and environment of grace, and you're not seizing the moment to pass down the values in others. Others are trying to force values, but there's no loving relationship. And it takes both. And it takes a beautiful balance of both. Jeremy's going to sing a song that he wrote. I believe he's up here. He's going to sing a song that he wrote called Daddy's Heart that uh, illustrates what we're talking about. There's some things that your children need to see. After the song, I'll extend an invitation. I'll open the altar. And I'll talk about a couple of these things that they need to see in your life. But before we open the altar this morning, I want you to just spend some time in reflection, thinking about that relationship. Is that relationship from my heart to the heart of my child in place? And if it is, the second question, am I passing values? Or, or perhaps you might say, I'm trying to pass values and the relationship's not intact. Let the Holy Spirit of God speak to you and what needs to be strengthened with his help this morning. Right from the start, but one thing you 
just bow your heads for a moment. Bow your hearts before the Lord. Here's what children need to see. Evaluate this as you're still before the Lord. Children need to see dad and mom in love. They need to see solid character lived out before them. Using mentors when you're marriage is in a situation where you need some help. Children need to see a passion for God. Here are some things children need to hear. They need to hear, I love you. I'm proud of you. And here are some things you're really good at. Are your children hearing those things? Even Jesus himself heard from the Father, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. They need to see some things, need to hear some things. They need to receive some things, some affirming encouragement. Appropriate, meaningful touch and affection. They need to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the one who died on Calvary's cross for their sin the one that they see you depending on when you need his grace as well. They need to receive Jesus. They need to experience some things. They need to see, hear, receive, and experience. They need to experience one-on-one -on -one time. They need to experience ceremony and celebration. We want to help you. We want to equip you as a church to provide those things. But right now, as the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart, your life, ask yourself, have I received Jesus? Have I made it a priority that my children, my grandchildren receive Jesus? Do they see and hear and receive and experience the things that God's called me to place in their lives? Father, we thank you. For your grace, Lord, you know my heart. It was not for this message to beat anyone up, but to lift us all up. Lord, you set the bar high when it comes to parenting, but at the same time, 
you provide the power necessary that we would not have to be intimidated, but we could bring the power of love and of a sound mind. Lord, help us to respond by adjusting whatever needs to be adjusting with your help. Yielded completely to your spirit this morning, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand as we sing the song of invitation. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Savior, come and share that with me. Say, today I want to know that I've trusted Christ.